0: Good morning. Thank you for being here. My name is John. We're, as a congregation, making our way through uh, the book of Proverbs. This morning, uh, we are in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 3, verses 13 through 35. And little theologians, I'd like for you to be thinking about um, uh, someone looking for something in a parking lot, a busy parking lot. If you could draw a picture of someone looking for something in a busy parking lot, but they're not looking for a car. They're looking for a dime, a dime on the ground. So uh, draw that uh, next to impossible task while we uh, look at this passage from Proverbs 3. We need to dive right in. It's a, it's a lengthier uh, passage, but let's uh, first of all pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we do thank you that you uh, speak to us We also thank you for the power of your spirit to uh, use the uh, proclaimer of your word. Would your spirit work through me that I would explain your word with uh, clarity, with uh, sincerity, with a great appeal, not for me or for the pastors here or for our church or our denomination, but a great appeal for your word Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a long passage. Let's begin at Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 13. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence." The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of our Lord. It is a a long passage, uh, isn't it? But I think if you hear two things, it'll help uh, set this passage in uh, such a way that you'll Uh, understand more what King Solomon is doing. The first thing is just consider uh, how we've been led up to this passage. Do you remember from last week that the father, he tells his son that he knows how his son works? He understands something about his son's uh, proclivities, his bad tendencies, his sinful nature. You remember what the father said to that son? Don't forget. Guard your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to be wise in your own eyes. You see, the father understands the proclivities of his son. And so he instructs his son, tells him to wear wisdom around his neck, write wisdom on his heart, acknowledge God, fear God, honor God with his possessions. He understands his son, and so he instructs him. And then he finishes that passage by reminding his son that he loves him. At the very end, he tells him that discipline is a sign of love and even delight, and in fact, that the Lord loves Him and delights in Him. Don't forget the knowledge and the wisdom of the Father. The Father understands the Son, His proclivity, and then He instructs Him. He demonstrates love to Him, and He reminds Him that this is what the Lord does for us. The Lord knows how our hearts work. The Lord instructs us, and the Lord demonstrates His love for us, telling us that He delights in us. You see, that's pretty important to have before your eyes as we look at this lengthy passage out of the end of Proverbs chapter 3, but there's something else. And this is going to feel a little bit like high school English, but just understand how poetry works. Poetry is stacking not necessarily ideas, but poetry is stacking images, and I think there's four images that are being stacked on top of each other as you make your way through this passage. One of those images is the image of uh, running after something, trying to get something, uh, get or obtain. And another image is an image of, of hanging on to something, uh, guarding or protecting something. That seems to me to be a bit of a shift, running after something and then guarding what you have. And then there's this image of acting, doing something. All of those, uh, those phrases that begin with do not, do not, do not, those are actions to avoid but they're meant to show us actions to actually do. You're running after something, you're hanging on to something, and then you're acting, you're doing something. And then where the, where the, uh, the section ends is it ends with living, dwelling. Do you see in, the, in that last, uh, last uh, couple of verses, uh, reference to uh, a dwelling into a house, verse 33. This is how poetry works. So, there you have it, Uh, a bit of the context from the first part of Proverbs chapter 3, that the Son, He knows everything about the Father. And then uh, we expect these images to be related to one another, and and that actually is the outline of this sermon. But what this passage is telling us is, 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 it's telling us this, is that wisdom has the power to bless us more than anything else. Wisdom blesses us more than anything else. And then King Solomon seems to be asking us, will this matter to you? Wisdom is more precious than anything else. Will this reality matter to you? And the images build and build and build, running after wisdom, hanging on to wisdom, acting on wisdom, and dwelling with wisdom. Verses 13 through 20 are about running after wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds. Do you see that? Finds who reaches out for, who obtains, maybe even captures. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets uh, understanding. Uh, That word forgetting is very practical, who uh, not only gets it but knows how to put it to use. Uh, This is uh, about trying to get something and the father is saying to the son, you need to be searching for this. But it's so interesting to me that the Father understands that the Son is a searching kind of human being. And truth be told, all of us are. All of us are looking for something. Uh, all of us are hoping to get something. We are a seeking kind of humanity. And the Father knows that the Son is seeking And the father seems to have taken a few steps ahead and he knows what kind of seeking the son will do if the son is the kind of son who tends to lean on his own understanding. If the son is the kind of son who tends to acknowledge himself rather than God. If the son is the kind of son who tends to try to be wise in his own eyes. If the son is like this, and he knows this son needs to be guided in his searching and in his seeking... If people like this are looking for, say, happiness, where will they look for it? It is almost as if uh, the, uh, the father has a picture of every human being as walking around in a parking lot with their heads down, clearly looking for something. Can you see that image? Someone walking around in a parking lot, their heads down, They're walking this way and that. Clearly, they're not going to a car or to a store. They're looking for something. They drop something. And this father assumes that all human beings, they're like that. Every human is searching. And these searching kinds of bipeds, uh, they are searching for happiness. But the father knows that they're aimless. Maybe the father um, is thinking about the possibility that his son might be searching for happiness from possessions. Wisdom, uh, the father says, has this off-the-scales, over-the-top value. You see that the father says there in verse 14 that wisdom has a gain. It's a transactional value. He's using financial terminology. He says also that wisdom has a profit, some kind of financial yield, And and maybe the father is afraid that the son is going to look for happiness, for blessedness. That's the first word of our passage. That the son is going to look for blessedness that comes from possessions. And he says to that son, wisdom is more valuable than whatever you think is valuable. Whatever you think it is, silver, gold, jewels, it doesn't matter. Whatever you think it is, nothing you desire can compare with her. I know myself, and I'm sure you do as well. We can desire quite a lot, but whatever you desire, nothing compares. And so maybe the father believes that the son is seeking for happiness from his possessions, but it could also be that the father thinks that the son is seeking for happiness that comes from his status. Now look at verse 16, Uh, long life is in her right hand, riches and honor in her left hand. It could be that the son is seeking for happiness through some kind of status. I think in verse 16, we have some career terminology there. Riches and honor, long life, long stability. It could be that there's a kind of status the son hopes to achieve, and if he gets that status, then he'll be happy. It may be also that the father believes that the son thinks that happiness comes from some kind of peace and security. You see there in verse 17, ways of pleasantness, paths of peace. Maybe the son believes that if he can create a pleasant and peaceful life, then then he will have happiness. you see in verse 18, the tree of life. That stood out to you, didn't it? Stands out to me. The tree of life is a symbol of Edenic hope. Uh, Pleasant is a word that shows up quite a few times um, when we read about the tree of life. Maybe the son believes that happiness comes from creating a Peaceful, secure, serene environment in which to live. We're making our way through this image. And maybe uh, the father believes that the son is seeking for happiness that comes from something in the created realm. It's hard to understand what exactly is meant by the reference in verse 19 of the Lord creating by wisdom. But it could be that the son is seeking for happiness in those things that are created. Something about nature or gods of nature. Nature. And yet the father is reminding the son, no, that's not going to give you happiness because God created by wisdom. The image of running after something is very important in this uh, section of Scripture. Each of us are running after happiness. We we have these uh, bundles of desires within us and we believe that if those, those desires are granted, then I will receive happiness or blessing. And the father wonders that about the son. So he tells the son how valuable wisdom is. Son, run after wisdom's value. And then the imagery shifts in 21. Hang on to something. Hang on to wisdom's promises. Have you ever unsubscribed from something online? And when you go to unsubscribe, you say you're no longer going to pay the monthly fee. There's usually a survey or a bunch of questions, and and oftentimes there's a promise of how good this product is and and how unfortunate you would be if you left this product. Try switching banks or switching insurance companies. You're reminded of all the, the, the great things you could have if you stayed with this bank. In the Father, in verse 21, He actually appeals to the Son to hang on to that which He has. My Son, do not lose sight of these. Do not bend yourself away from these. Keep, protect. We've seen this word before in Proverbs. Protect sound wisdom and discretion. You know, this here is the first command of the passage. Keep, grab hold of that which you have. Wisdom has this remarkable power to do things, the Father says. Wisdom, it can give you life for your soul, verse 22. Wisdom gives you secure footing in your walk so that you don't fall, my son. In verse 24, wisdom gives you not just sleep, but sweetness of sleep. And in verse 25, there are terrors and storms in the world, my son, but wisdom helps you to not be afraid of those things. I think it's rather astounding that verses 21 through 26 are mostly about simple, common aspects of life. Just scan 21 through 26. It's about what wisdom does for you in normal aspects of life, walking, sleeping, and dealing with storms, that word for ruin in verse 25. Wisdom helps you deal with bad people or bad people all around us. It's normal life. And almost as if the the son is threatening to unsubscribe, the dad, he is upholding wisdom and he says, hang on to wisdom's promises. Only wisdom can do these things. Wisdom is precious beyond compare, but wisdom has these great benefits. Each of us are running after happiness. And we know that sometimes our methods for reaching happiness, they fall short. If we tell ourselves that a financial gain is going to bring us happiness, well, we, we know that sometimes the financial gain's not there. An investment goes south. Inflation kicks in. We know what it's like to put our hope in financial gain and it not work out. We know what it's like to put our hope in employment in a difficult market. We know what it's like to put uh, our hope in employment and the employment is nowhere near as fulfilling as we thought it would be. But when we don't get these things, we normally fall back on ordinary life. If I can't have that kind of happiness, if I can't have all of my dreams answered, well, at least I want to be able to walk through life well. I want to be able to sleep peacefully. Uh, I want to be able to not be terrified when storms come. And I want to not be afraid of bad people. If, If I can't have my wildest dreams, I at least want those things. And the Father says, Wisdom is so very precious. She's more precious than anything you could desire. And not only that, not only that, wisdom is with you in ordinary life, day-to-day life. You see, with wisdom, the Father says, you actually get both. You get something that is precious beyond compare, but you also get something that has benefits, that helps you with ordinary life. Hang on to wisdom's promises, the Father pleads. The image goes from running after wisdom's value to hanging on to wisdom's promises in ordinary life, to verse 27, where the Father says, act on wisdom towards others. Just look at verses 27 through 32. Is it jarring to you? It's jarring to me. A long string of actions, but not actions necessarily to do, actions not to do. The Father uh, seems to have not given us any real practical advice until verse 27. And in verse 27, it's things not to do. Do you notice that all of these things not to do have to do with others? The Father starts by telling us what to run after, that wisdom is precious. And then the Father tells us what to hang on to because wisdom makes promises in our ordinary life. And now the Father tells us to test that wisdom, put it to work. Exercise that wisdom, but not for yourself, for others. Don't withhold good from those whom it is owed, verse 27. Those whom it is owed. This could be a reference to a parent who deserves to be honored or an employer who deserves to have you work hard. Respect and honor. It might also be financial, but the father says don't delay in offering those things. In verse 28, again, it's about delay. Don't delay in doing something for your neighbor, the person right next door to you. The person right next door to you is in verse 29 as well. Don't plan evil against the person who's right there. Don't be a bad neighbor. And in verse 30, arguing and complaining, it seems to have a place, but not for no reason, when you've not experienced harm from anyone. And then verse 31 is about envying a man of violence. Don't be tempted to envy and live like pagans. The Father seems to assume that we are very, very selfish. And in fact, our selfishness is us on autopilot. The Father seems to assume that we're slow to pay honor and to pay off debts. The Father assumes that uh, we uh, are slow to uh, uh, actually uh, use our money for others. The Father assumes that treating a next door uh, like something other than an enemy is rather hard for us, every man for himself, so to speak. And the Father assumes that we argue just because we like to argue. No one really has to do it or deserve it. We just want to be right. Right. And the test for wisdom goes to the very heart of our selfishness. Do you remember why King Solomon asked for wisdom? You know he asked for wisdom and God gave him uh, plenteous wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3. But do you know why? Do you remember he asked for wisdom because he needed help governing God's people? These, your great people, have in me someone who cannot govern them. I need your help to govern them. I wonder if that's bouncing around King Solomon's uh, mind with these uh, do-not statements. But Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has told us that we are called to love God and to love others. The way to seek wisdom and to hold on to it seems to be to treat our neighbors well. Act on wisdom toward others, the Father says to the Son. And then finally, very quickly, verses 33 through 35, we have this imagery of a home. The Lord blesses the dwelling of the righteous, and his curse is on the house of the wicked. You notice all the things in these few verses, 33 through 35, notice all of the things that describe a house in which wisdom lives. What is a house in which wisdom lives like? In verse 33, The righteous who are blessed live in that house. You see that? The righteous who are blessed by God live in that house. Here's the word uh, blessed again. It's different from verse 13. But the righteous who are blessed live in that house. And the humble who receive grace, they live in that house as well. Verse 34. And then finally in verse 35, the heirs who receive honor, they live there in that dwelling of wisdom. What a remarkable picture. A house. Wisdom blesses us more than anything else. And we're almost enticed to ask the question, does this matter to us by being allured to that house? Wouldn't you like to live in a house like that? A house in which you have God's blessing and God's grace. And you receive honor, not from some earthly figure, but you receive honor from God himself. You see how these images stack together? Four images, running after, holding on to, acting, and dwelling. But you know where I'm going? All of this, Christian, is received in Christ Jesus. And you know this, but you need the reminder of King Solomon here. The wisdom of the Lord is precious because the blood of our Savior is precious. There in that blood, the blood that was poured out when he died upon the cross is that is God's preciousness in concentrated form. You know, in Isaiah, he says this. Peter, he says this, "The wisdom of the Lord is precious because it's nothing short of the blood of Jesus. Nothing compares to him. And that should put all of our longings and our desires, all of our seeking into proper perspective. Nothing compares. To him, do you know that? And wisdom promises that we can walk in this world, that we can sleep without fear, uh, that we can uh, walk without stumbling, uh, that the uh, the enemies all around us are not enemies that spark fear and terror in us. Why? Well, God has numbered even the hairs of our head, and He's done so for all eternity. Peace is to actually walk with Jesus who comes to us and dwells with us. That's how you're able to sleep because you know He never does. He's watching over you. This is how you cannot be afraid of storms and of enemies because He is your great victor and He's already won. This is, this is how we can walk in the world. So those are the first two images of that which we desire, the precious blood of Jesus, that which we seek, and then finally that which we hold on to, that we hold on to the promises that God has made, uh, made to us in Christ Jesus. But think also of wisdom as an act for others. Wisdom is for others. Why should that be important? The others in this passage, I don't know if you notice this, but it doesn't seem as though the others are necessarily bad, at least not the first few. There is reference to a bad person, but we're to pay honor and respect, and we're to pay off our debts to those who seem to deserve those things, but you didn't deserve anything, and yet Jesus came, and he gave everything of his own for you. He set aside self for you. You're an undeserving neighbor, and I'm an undeserving neighbor. But Jesus, he lowered himself, even to the point of nothing, to care for undeserving neighbors like us. That's his wisdom, and we are recipients of his good and perfect wisdom. And then finally, Christian, we live in a house of wisdom because we're part of the family of Jesus. Jesus, he came to live with us. It's not us relocating ourselves into His house because our house has proven to have a leaky roof. No, He has come and He has decided to live with us, to tabernacle among us, and He is with us now, today, in this moment, by His Word, with His people, through His Spirit. He is our blessedness. He is our grace. He is our honor because... He lives with us. Let me say again, wisdom blesses us more than anything else. And does this matter? You should look to Jesus. Is He the most precious thing to you? Well, let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we do thank You for coming to us in Jesus' We ask that you would rework the affections of our hearts, that we would desire him more than anything else. Shrink all of our contrary affections that we would have singular affection for Jesus. Father, would we know that with Jesus, we can walk in this world, we can sleep in this world, we can have no fear in this world. We have that promise with Jesus who loves us. And Father, uh, would we uh, be uh, uh, delivered of our selfishness and give up our lives for others because this is what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. And then Father, would we know that we live in a house of His making, that Jesus has come and He has built a tent and invited us into it, doing all things necessary that we would be covered by the roof of Him rather than any roof that we might make ourselves. Oh, Holy Father, Father, Would you make us mindful of these things? In Jesus' name, amen.